Ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host, Lindsay. Lindsay. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you got to step up when Drew's not here. I'm, I'm used to you finishing that for me and giving me an awesome intro. You've spoiled me too much. And now I just now I just expect these things. I was kind of expecting that too, so I, I can't say that it's Lindsay's fault. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> All right, fine. Let's do this again. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host. She is... I'm having to make this up on the fly. Um, she's cooler than Chirrut Mway and Luke Skywalker tap dancing. It's Lindsay. <laughs> is that good? See, that's the star treatment you have now led me to believe I'll get all the time. And you know what? This is your fault, Brandon. I know. Because you came in with the, I'm going to I'm gonna nail the intro. I'm going to do this perfectly. You couldn't really expect the three of us to let that happen. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, moving on from there. We have other people with us who are also laughing and making fun of me. But, hey, that's what we do over here on Clashing Sabers. Uh, we have the incomparable Mark. Hello. And the delightful Adriana. Hi, everyone. And tonight we are going to be talking about Chewbacca. We mentioned on the Rogue One episode uh, that we would get to this, um, but we wanted to make sure we could give it the proper time and so we're going to look into uh peter mayhew and chewbacca and what we've seen from the character and kind of what we uh hope to see going forward but before we get into that we of course are having our monthly giveaway uh that we announced on our rogue one episode which if you haven't listened to it uh it's worth the seven hours of your time or however long it is uh to go <laughs> listen to it um but we're giving away a krennic pop vinyl um you can check out our twitter i've got a picture of it up there um and it's also in the facebook group i believe um so just leaving us a rating and review on whatever podcatcher you listen to shooting me a little uh picture of that and let me know you did it and you'll be entered for the contest so let's go to uh mark what are you star warsing lately well, I have just finished Star Warsing the double bill that was Master and Apprentice and Dooku Jedi Lost, and I love them both, um, especially together. They they were nice companion pieces to one another, and I really have to give a big shout out to the audio play because I don't think any, I don't think it's been done before exactly like this. It's not quite an audio book. It's more like almost like a radio drama. And usually with audio books, I have difficulty paying attention because my mind tends to wander. And apparently that's a very common thing uh, with a lot of people. But for some reason, I guess because this one had so many different voices for each character and the structure of it is a little different than, say, a novel. Um, I was able to follow it much more closely, and uh, I just, I just really liked this, the different weird areas that it went into with Jedi mythology and and uh, prophecy. So that's that's what I've been Star Warsing. 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Lindsay and I talked about it, um, and that show's going to come out later this week uh, at the time of this recording, but we've already recorded it, so I can say that, uh, yeah, we were, for the most part, pretty high on it. Uh, I think, and, and this is something I've just heard in general, the biggest thing for people, especially people who were audiobook listeners or are audiobook listeners, is just kind of the the change in kind of the way you have to listen to it. Um, and for like readers like Lindsay and myself who, who usually do the, the actual physical book, it was just that transition of like how you actually have to comprehend the story. Um, but I will say like they knocked it out of the park because I was going, I have the, um, the A New Hope radio drama um, on my Audible also. And I went to go listen to that today. And then I was just like, ah, it just doesn't have the same feel. And I don't know if it was just being in a prequels mood or what, but yeah, they did a... The quality of it cannot be knocked. Whether you liked it or not, the the quality of it is great. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's really good. So, Adriana, what about you? What are you Star Warsing lately? Um... I really liked Queen Shadow, so I'm rereading it. Um, I've been wanting to do that too. Yeah, um, I'm listening to the audiobook um, right now as I read it, and now I have the audiobook, and it's really, it's really nice. Um, Catherine Tabor, who did the voice of Padme from the Clone Wars series, is the one who reads it, and so it's even though we can't have Natalie Portman, it's a really nice to have that familiar familiarity because i think that's one of the um when i first started reading audiobooks it was it threw me off um like the force awakens mark thompson i think reads that one and the his voices that he does for like poe and finn don't sound like like obviously oscar isaac or or um john boyega so it, it really threw me off so this one was a is really nice to listen to and she reads it at such a like nice pace it's very relaxing <laughs> and then um i'm also a baseball fan so i'm really excited tomorrow uh the dodgers their triple a team that's here in california uh the quakes they're doing a star wars night um so i'm gonna go to that and that's always fun they have um like they have i i don't know if it's the 501st but they have like costumer uh people in the costumes come out and you take pictures with them and they're gonna do like a lot of i guess it's a star wars activities i don't know quite what that means but i'll find out you'll find out (laughs) (laughs) we did that uh, we did that a couple years ago for the astros out here um they had a star wars night it was a lot of fun yeah they do that they do that here too they did it over may the fourth weekend yeah, they did that for the Yankees too. I couldn't get to it, um, but that's it. Sounds like it's a minor league team, though, for you, Adriana, right? Uh, yeah the the Dodgers they they're they're going to have one. That one I believe is in it's either June sixteenth or July sixteenth, and I I always make a point to go to that one. That one's always really fun to go to. Uh, I think last year they had Ryan Johnson. He threw the first pitch. That was really cool. Um, so I'm definitely going to go to that one. But, yeah, this is their minor league team. Yeah. So I I don't I bet, know. I bet that's going to be even better because it will be more intimate and you get to really take time and enjoy the activities that they're going to have. 
Yeah, definitely. Especially because they're actually doing activities. When I went to the Dodger game, they had like the cosplayers out and stuff and you could take pictures. But that was that was pretty much it. There wasn't. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for that. (laughs) I would be, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we, when we went uh they i mean because it's it's a astros are a major league team so they had like official 501st people there um and for the most part i mean they were super cool and like the I, baseball does it like pretty much everywhere every baseball team has star mm-hmm. wars day so they kind of have like a good handle on like how to you know make things go and 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 stuff like that so i need to get back out to that because that was yeah that was a lot of fun you'll have to post pictures and everything uh after you do that on the facebook group and everything uh lindsay what about you what are you star warsing so mark i'm kind of in the same place in the same mindset as you where listening to an audiobook is pretty new for me i'm obviously really big into any type of podcast and i like that method of storytelling so for dooku um, Jedi Lost. I can never. I still can't remember if it's Jedi Lost or Lost Jedi. I feel like I mix it, it up every time. Yeah, I want to call it Jedi Fallen. It to it. it yeah, it yeah, with the new video game. But whatever that Dooku drama is, um, I really <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that could be the title. Years. Oh my god! I, I heard it as soon as I said. It. I was like, "Man, that sounds like a '90s like Star Wars TV show." <laughs> I really wish that could be the title of the episode. <laughs> the Dooku drama. What is that Le- Dooku drama? Oh man! <laughs> in syndication, it's like 20 years. That's what people watch like before they go to school in the morning. Like people watch Saved by the Bell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll watch it on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, no, it might be on Disney Plus. Uh, yes. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> That's the third live action. Um, but no, Mark, I um, I really like the audio drama way of doing it. But I had to get an Audible subscription just for this, you know. And I'm gonna take Star Wars wherever you give it to me. So I had that subscription, and I had used it a couple times before. Um, you know, Delilah Dawson has a great short story on there. So I had used it whenever I could get like something for free. Um, but this, I obviously felt was worth paying for. And I didn't want to let the subscription go to waste. Cause you know, you get like those credits every month. So I've actually been using audible to go through and listen to books that I've already read. Cause Mark, mm-hmm. like you said, it, yeah. You know, my mind tends to wander when I listen to an audiobook. So I have trouble doing it for the first time with a story. But um, the Darth Bane trilogy is some of my favorite Legends material. So I've actually been re-listening to that uh, during my commute and whatnot. So that's kind of my what I've been Star Warsing. Um, and it's it's so weird to go back to those and wrap my head around the fact that this isn't all true now because I'm so in the mindset already of trying to make all these connections in the new canon and, you know, okay, well, they mentioned this planet here and this character also ties into this story. So for it to be legends where I can just kind of enjoy it for what it is and not have to worry about what clues they're giving or what connections they're making, it's it's pretty refreshing, actually. May I suggest um, going back and listening to the Phasma novel? 
I really, I really enjoyed listening to that one. Yeah. Good yeah. Who narrates that? Oh, I don't remember, but I really enjoyed it. And I actually listened to it before I read it. Um, and I really, I, I don't know. I just really liked the Phasma novel. And so I would definitely listen to that one. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do that. And I'll let you know what I think. Because the, the novel is one of my favorite books. Um, so I didn't even think to go back and listen to that one. But now that you say it, I definitely will. I, I trust your judgment, Adriana. We need to get uh, the Phasm novel, but with like a backdrop of the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack. Oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> yes. 100%. I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that as I was reading that book. It's It was so... Well, Mad she Max. listened to that sound soundtrack on like repeat yeah, as yeah. she was writing it. So, you know what? Speaking of that, I'm gonna add one more thing to what I've been Star Warsing, and it's it's a weird one, and it's not really Star Wars, but I'm gonna count it as it, um, because Delilah Dawson does talk about her Spotify playlists and how she creates those when she writes. And, you know, the Phasma one actually was a good amount of, like, Mad Max. But then it was a lot of just, you know, the Force Awakens soundtrack, stuff like that, which is good, but nothing totally shocking. I looked at the one called Black Spire that she's using while she writes the new Black Spire book. And it's a lot of, like, Young the Giant, Newfound Glory, stuff like that, which totally up my alley. Um, so I've actually been, been listening to that playlist really often and it's just kind of hyping me up for black spire and keeps me focused throughout the day so i'm gonna add young the giant and newfound glory to what i've been star warsing <laughs> the i mean they might have that playing through the speakers at galaxy's edge like we're all expecting a <laughs> symphony and it could just be punk rock just blasting out the speakers like you thought you knew star wars you don't Oh, since we're we're throwing in some uh, some extras about music, uh, this is this is kind of tangentially related to Star Wars. Uh, but I I went to see the documentary. Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek sh- series, and they just came out with a documentary about it. And so I went to go see it at a one night only showing at the theater. And guess whose name I saw in the credits for the music? Kevin Kiner. No. Wow. Yes. I was so, I mean, I was, I, I was thrilled to be there anyway because it's my favorite TV show, but to see his name and say, oh, well, that's what he's been doing since, uh, since Rebels. That's crazy. That's really cool. He's great. He's awesome. Yeah. He needs, let's, let's get him either, a, either a movie or get him on one of the shows. Like I'm oh, all yeah. for like bringing new blood in and everything like that. But at the same time, like. I don't know. There's just what you know. (laughs) Well, and I mean, for us hardcore fans, like considering Clone Wars and Rebels like equal to the the movies is like not a big deal. But for the casual moviegoer, you know, it's they're not going to look at Rebels or Clone Wars the same way. And so, if you could get Kevin Kiner in there and just let him knock it out of the park, and I mean, just open his career up because I, I, I don't. I think it was a soundtrack show I was listening to. And it just amazed me because, like, John Williams was, like, 41 or something when he got the um, the Star Wars job, right? And he'd already been doing, like, just odd and end TV shows for, like, 20 years, you know? And you think, like, 
oh, Jaws Star Wars time is when John Williams started. But it's like, no, he was doing it for a really long time before he got like his big break. Yeah, he was just getting his second wind. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's on like his 40th That is a third or fourth. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. More John Williams, more Kevin Kiner. I'm here for it. Honestly, like I have the Rebels soundtracks. And the only reason I don't listen to them like on repeat is because the songs are only like a minute long. And I get like right when I get into it, it's over. So I have to listen to those on like a playlist or something. I have to listen to them all together. I can't just like listen to it straight through, but it's so good. And there's y'all remember the the one where they go to the Lasat planet and it's just that violin. Yes, yes, mm. yes. I would I'm gonna say it. I would put that up there with like binary sunsets in terms of just pure musical moments. Wow. It was I mean, I remember like getting goosebumps watching that the first time. Jeez. When, I don't know if it, I would put it that high, but it's definitely up there. Yeah, did have they? Do you know if they've released the soundtrack for the last season of Rebels? I haven't seen it anywhere. Okay, there. If you go on YouTube, you can actually find full versions of some of some of the music from key episodes, um, particularly those episodes involving the the Jedi Temple on Lothal. Um, there's this whole segment where they're escaping the temple as it's collapsing yeah, and the yeah. music is just Oh yeah, the one where where uh, Ahsoka looks back and sees Yoda. Yeah. Yes. Well no 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 no. This is this is the in the final season when you know, the Mortis Oh date. oh yeah yeah. I yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um that whole piece is is all is on YouTube. Um and I've been listening to that because I have a playlist on YouTube, but I have not seen that available on a soundtrack. Yeah, that's one thing. One thing they really need to get their act together on. Like, the soundtrack releases for the movies are good. Like, I'm sure at some point we'll get like extras and stuff like we did with the original trilogy. But, like, we need more Clone Wars stuff than just like a greatest hits album. We need more, like, the last season of Rebels. Like, I, I want them to re release, like, The Old Republic. Uh, soundtrack because like I've listened to part of that on YouTube and I'm like this is great like I would love to just listen to this and you can't find it anywhere like I've searched eBay and you just can't find like an actual copy of the Old Republic soundtrack and I'm like if you just put it on YouTube or on not on YouTube on like iTunes and Spotify like people would grab it in a second if you build Mm. it we will come (laughs) (laughs) pretty much no joke no joke (laughs) So, uh, we talked, well, actually, Lindsay introduced us to um, our newest addiction about, what, three weeks ago now or something like that, which is our friends over at happybeeps.net, and we are super excited to bring to you some some information, some stats for you from happybeeps.net, um, and we're going to be doing this on the regular um, for, for every one of our flagship shows. And we're going to have some kind of uh, statistic uh, about whatever the topic we're talking about is. So, of course, tonight we're talking about Chewbacca. And so I've got some some Chewbacca facts here. You guys ready for this? Yes. Let's hear it. Let's right. do it. So we've got, first of all, starting off with um, all of these are, are toy-based um, for this one. 
and we're starting off with the heroes of Yavin toys. So you're looking at like Luke, Han, Obi-Wan, Leia, R2, Chewie, 3PO, all right? Like the main characters of A New Hope and, and beyond. Um, and interestingly enough, um, in terms of the number of toys, like types of toys actually made, Chewbacca is actually pretty close to the bottom. He only had 100 from 1977 to 2019, so to present day, he only has 100 uh, different toys, Hmm. Whereas, like, Luke, I mean, Luke, you would figure, would be the most. He has, like, 250 and change. But seriously, like, it's, he's only above 3PO, which is kind of weird to me. Um, did you? I, go ahead. I would have thought he had a lot of, like, stuffed animal toys. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, I, I understand why maybe not stuff for, like, as many collectors items or you know six piece action figures things like that but i definitely would have thought a lot more toys geared to kids so we're talking total toys not just action figures right yeah we're we're talking oh, styles okay that is yeah that is surprising right i guess maybe the the plush thing i know has been big lately you i don't i i mean i was not your typical kid, but I had a lot of stuffed animals growing up. I would have had, I would have definitely taken a Chewbacca. Yeah, come um, to think of it, I'm I don't. Wondering... No, no so I, I, I don't remember ever seeing a, a stuffed Chewie when I was a kid, ever. And I would have owned it. Yeah, no joke. And I'm also wondering, like, what they count as a toy because have you seen the, like, the Chewbacca backpacks? They're kind of like plushies. Mm-hmm. But they're backpacks, so would they? Ca- they wouldn't count as a. I I wouldn't think they would count as a toy. No, I wouldn't think they would count as a toy. We do have like the um, the actual like toys by type, and um, so this is specific for Chewbacca, and this kind of brings some light to what we were saying because when you and this is this is for new and repackaged figures, so we're looking at total there. For uh, action figures, there were about eighty. Um, and looking at plush toys, there were less than 10. Wow. Wow. So that does kind of show you. I <laughs> wow. Mean, wow. The only thing, the only thing that has less than, um, the actual plush toys is the six inch figures. Like, so I'm thinking like the black series, uh, type figures and the action figures would be like the three and three quarter inch. So yeah, I guess... I guess there's not a lot of Chewbacca plushes. I'm so surprised by that, especially because I feel like the Chewbacca toys that are out there are some of the most popular ones. You know, like we had a couple years ago that woman who went viral with the laughing Chewbacca mask. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, then yeah. that was everywhere. So I feel like the, the Chewy toys that they do put out are so popular and so coveted. It's, it's shocking that there's not that many. I almost wonder if it's one of those things like, you know, you, you had to have a few stormtroopers, right? So that you could have, like, your, your battalion of stormtroopers. Maybe you want Luke in, in the different gear so you can tell different parts of the story. Chewie's basically in, like, the same outfit, which is just his natural body, um, the whole time. And so, like, maybe it was like, oh, well, I've got Chewie, so I don't need another Chewie to play the same scene kind of thing. Maybe that is, it impacted the demand a little bit. Yeah, that occurred to me, too. Mm-hmm. This hmm. so this is the one that that really, uh, really shocked me 
because we, we've got here the Chewy action figures by production era. Um, again, this is new and repackaged. And you would think that the majority of Chewbacca action figures would come from when? I would think, you know, like the Empire Strikes Back Return of the Jedi phase. You would yeah. be wrong. Wow. By is a, it the prequel? By a large margin, it is the prequels. Wow. No. Yes. By but he's, on, he's only in one prequel. 30, about 37, 36, 37. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the original trilogy era is the least. The- there's something weird. There's just something weird about that era because he didn't get a medal, and y- yeah, <laughs> they're hating on. And Chewie. he didn't get it. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have any explanation for that. Um, could it be that the original trilogy had a lot older audience, and then you know when we got to the prequels, like I was like nine, and then now with The Force Awakens, there's a lot more kids that are younger getting into it, so it would make sense that they're marketing those toys for kids, but when the original came out, it was, like, older, well, like, in their 20s, 30s, maybe? I don't... Does that make... Am I well, making sense? Uh, yeah, I, I... I was one of those kids, just like... So, I was like, the pre... Like, you're talking about the prequels, the original trilogy was like that for me, because I was a little kid, but I, I guess maybe... It could be true because Star Wars was seen by everybody, so it there was really it wasn't geared towards necessarily just children or young young people. It was everyone was going to see it. Um, but I mean, the toys and and the collectibles at that time would have been aimed at children anyway. So that that's what kicked off so much of the toy industry that we have today is was that time period so it, it's still very surprising to me that there wasn't more and he was he was a pretty standout character <laughs> well hard, and hard the interesting him. the interesting thing is like it starts in from 77 to 85 it, and, and i'm gonna link this in the show notes for those of you that want to play along at home uh you you have you know about seven or eight and then it's goes to the Renaissance era, so 95 to 98, which would be like the uh, the special editions, and it increases a little more. It takes off in the prequels, but then the Clone Wars era and then the Story Group era, so that's 2008 to 2014 for Clone Wars and 2015 to 2019 for Story Group, it kind of declines pretty steadily. So I almost wonder if when we got to that prequels era, it was the the hunger for, oh my God, Star Wars is back and it's been gone for you know mm-hmm. yeah a long time you know because if you're not if you're not in getting the heir to the empire books and stuff like that like you're probably not aware of the toys like i remember going to toys r us and they were like in a the star wars toys were like in a back corner you know and i would just stand there forever just looking at all of them like i want this one i want this one but it wasn't like there weren't big displays of it like there are today and and like there were in the prequels and there was just such that marketing push i wonder I wonder if that had an effect on it. It would have to, because, I mean, it has to be something. Just because these seem... I'm really shocked by this. And, you know, first of all, thank you for the team over at Happy Beeps putting this together. Um, you know, I love being able to look at the numbers like this and find some uh, cool facts just to, 
to wrap my head around because this is really surprising. Um, so definitely want to thank the team over at Happy Beeps for sending this our way. But yeah, I would love to look at kind of what the catalyst was for the the big surge there. Yeah, I would be interested in like overall um, toy sales for each of the eras um, and and see if it kind of correlates with what we are seeing with the Chewbacca thing, you know? Um, because he is one of the, air quotes, lesser characters. And what I mean by that is just like he's not Han, Luke, and Leia. Um, it, I feel like if his kind of chart progression matches up with what we see with the overall trend, then my theory would make sense. You know, I'm going off limited data here, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see how it ebbs and flows. Could it be how they marketed? Um, I don't know if you guys have them or not, but I still have all like my revenge of the Sith toys for, um, that came out like at, was it Burger King or McDonald's Mm. when the movie was coming out? So they had that and they, and and those are toys, and I know I have a Chewbacca one, and and so they did that really big push in the in that. So, and they haven't done anything like they they haven't done anything like that for the others, obviously. So maybe that's something. Well, and, yeah, and the, and the prequels era is right when like the the Star Wars dot com fan club was getting going, and like the internet was becoming a thing, you know, and so you not only had like the normal marketing that you could do like you did with the original trilogy, but now you have like word of mouth as a worldwide thing, you know, and you're just taking it to a whole nother level. So that, yeah, I think you're onto something there. I think you're onto something there. This gets me wanting to talk about Chewy. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and, and talk about Peter Mayhew and Chewbacca. You made a fair move. Screaming about it can't help you. No, it's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. It's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. All right, and we're back, and we are talking, of course, Peter Mayhew and Chewbacca, and I want to spend the majority of this conversation focusing on Chewbacca just because one like that's kind of what we do is is look at the story and the characters and analyze them and stuff but also I feel like um just Peter Mayhew as a person he would want us to focus on on the character that he created um more so than focusing too much on on himself you know because I feel like he was one of those he always I always felt like he was somebody who felt like like I'm happy to give this to the fans as a gift you know, kind of thing. So I want to start out with this question. Adriana, I'm going to throw it to you first. What do you think Peter Mayhew's legacy is going to be? I don't know if you guys are on, are in any of those, like the Facebook groups for celebration. Um, and so people would post their stories and I would, and a lot of the stories were people meeting Peter Mayhew talking about how, like they couldn't believe that he was even there. They could tell that he was in so much pain, but he always was um, had a smile on his face when he was talking to the fans, and so they they remember that. And I think that's something that's gonna just keep 
like people are going to talk about those kind of experiences that they had when he was here, when he was alive, you know, like even though he, they could tell that he was in pain and he, he probably shouldn't have been there that he made that choice to be there for the fans because he knew how important Chewbacca was, was to them, to us. And I mean, that's kind of, I feel like that's something that has been true for a lot of the, the original trilogy actors, you know, um, that they've been in a, in the fandom and giving back to the fandom in a way that, the the prequels era and the modern era for uh, for various reasons um it's just not the same you know and i think it was kind of that idea of pretty much everybody was nobodies um when they started this uh and it was the first big thing and it, i just think it connected them to and, and we connected with them um through those stories and yeah it's super special mark what about you what do you think what do you think we're going to remember Peter Mayhew for or as? <clears throat> yeah, when you mentioned the original trilogy and the actors uh, from those films, I think it's, uh, especially with Mark Hamill, um, along with Peter, it's really accessibility. Um, they were they were sort of the model for you know the actor who felt extremely fortunate to have fallen into this thing that just blew up and became the biggest thing in the world. And I don't think they ever took it for granted. And they understood that the reason they were, they were doing what they were doing was because so many people were touched by these movies. And um, like Adriana said, Peter Mayhew was, was probably the most accessible actor of the original series um, because he was he was at so many conventions I never had a chance to actually meet him um, but but the stories are just so plentiful of of people standing in line and and he would stay for hours and hours and even when he sh- should have left much sooner he would stay and until every single person had met him and sh- sh- shook his hand and got an autograph or a picture um, so I I think, and I think you're starting to see a little of that with the sequel trilogy, with the actors who appear at the conventions. Um, they may not be quite as accessible, but I think there's a little bit of that 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 model that they're following. That sort of the example that he set, I think, is is sort of rippled through uh, the actors and how how they. It's part of their professional responsibility in a way yeah. to yeah to come to these events and to and to be positive and to and to show appreciation to the fans and not that they owe fans but but you know they're they're just very fortunate to to be able to to be in a star war and and it's because of the popularity well and i mean i think the greatest example there is like Jonas, you know the, the new chewbacca actor um i feel like has just like stepped in not to replace Peter Mayhew in any way, but like to take on that legacy, you know? And and I feel like Mm -hmm. there was definitely a conversation that happened between him and Peter that was like, Hey man, like this is what's up. This is what this character means to people because like it's, 
it's one thing like when when Carrie passed, everybody was sad because you know Princess Leia, but at the same time, it was like a lot more focused on like Carrie passing, right? And it's different now because now we have Peter passing, but we know Chewbacca is going to live on. And, and it's just this weird, like, in terms of, like, the grieving about it, it's it's been weird, you know? Um, just because the, the circumstances are different, but I, I don't want to say I feel good about Peter passing because that's obviously not what I mean. But, like, I feel like he would be happy that, like, if this was his time, like, he's left the legacy of Chewbacca in an appropriate place and in the appropriate mm-hmm. hands, you know? Yes. That's a good way to put it. I mean, also, like Adriana said, too, it was pretty clear how he was in so much pain for so long that I don't want to say this was expected because I was caught pretty off guard by it. But it felt like it could have almost happened at any time. So since they were able to take that into account and start to pass on that torch, and he really did work to make that transition with the character, and it's pretty seamless. You know, it it does seem, like you said, you don't want to say that you feel good, but you feel maybe safe is the word we're looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's a good... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, which, I mean, again, it's, it's the difference of, like, a character who is in a full suit and mask and everything versus, like, Leia, whose face we're seeing, you know? And mm. it's just, like, it, the, the... It was possible. Yeah, the possibilities yeah. that were there. But I, I want to go to that idea of, of him wearing a mask because, of course, we never actually see... Well, do we see Peter Mayhew at all? Does he make a... I don't think and he makes an I don't think he does. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I'm like, I know we in the and prequels you know what, we get like though? a my best and Anthony Daniels. I actually want to linger on that for a second. Um, just to add to his legacy and to build off of what Adrian and Mark, you guys were saying with his accessibility and how he made sure he gave fans that experience. I think a large part of that actually comes from the fact that he's not really an actor you know as much as i absolutely adore anthony daniels and mark hamill and being able to watch them on celebration stages and watch how they interact with fans and they give these incredible personal moving experiences to fans they still do it in a way where they're kind of owning the stage which is a lot of fun to watch but with peter you got the feeling like he was because he wasn't an actor he was so humble about it and he was so gracious to fans, and he let their experiences be their own. Um, and I think a lot of that came from the fact that he wasn't an actor, and we didn't see his face on screen. Because um, as far as I know, Brandon, no, he didn't have any cameos, did he? Well, I'm looking actually at his IMDb right now, um, and he's got 28 credits on here. And there's some odds and ends um, here, but 95% of everything he did was Chewbacca even like um like for example there's in 2011 he was on an episode of Glee um as Chewbacca um so (laughs) even like random appearances he did he did him as Chewbacca (laughs) I I know it's like I never thought I'd be talking about Glee saying this let alone being recorded saying this but now I have to go watch Glee 
I don't. I, I want don't. Glee. I don't remember that. I don't remember <laughs> Chewbacca and Glee. I don't know. I it, it says something about a Christmas episode. I don't know. I watched about three minutes of Glee, and I was like, mm, this is just not for me, um, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, like the majority of his stuff is um, it's either like a, a an appearance like for like a comic book documentary type thing or it is as Chewbacca himself. And I, n- not that I fault anybody for taking their Star Wars fame and turning that into a positive career, but it is kind of refreshing um, to have this Hollywood celebrity who is just humble and is just okay with, yeah, I'm Chewbacca. And, like, that pays the bills and gets me, you know, where I need to go in life and everything's okay. You know, it's just, it's a different kind of attitude, but but I appreciate it. But acting in, I mean, Lindsay, you touched on, he wasn't really an actor, but at the same time, like, acting in a mask is one of the hardest things that you can do um, because you're taking away, like, literally all your your facial expressions right and so for me like that's going to be the lasting endearing legacy of peter mayhew is setting this standard of um mask acting right um because you you have he had to actually become chewbacca in a way that i don't think an actor like a Mark Hamill or Carrie Fisher had to fully become, you know, I kind of think of it like, like, um, like Adam driver in the sequel trilogy, right? Like the stories of him, like being in character at all times and staying in his, his, uh, costume. Like it was kind of the same for, for Peter and, and he had to become Chewbacca and it gave that great understanding. What do you think it was about his performance that, was so endearing that connected it with so many people, Lindsay. I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, I think it was actually kind of the head tilts that he does as Chewie. Um, It's a really familiar way to hook an audience in. You know, when I look at my dogs and they make the same kind of head movements, it's like, oh, that's so cute. So even when we're being told that Wookiees are these big, ferocious creatures who could pull the ears off a gun dark and we should be so afraid of him. He does these, these little mannerisms that are already familiar to us and already endearing to us where it's, it's hard not to be drawn into him. Um, and then he continues throughout the next, you know, three movies in that original trilogy to just build off those little held, uh, build off those little head tilts and start to be able to pull characters in for hugs. And, you know, one of the best parts is when he starts to pet Han after Han's <laughs> taken out of the carbonite. And yeah. it's like, oh, this, this should be the other way around. But <laughs> it's just that he has these really familiar movements to us that we already enjoy watching other creatures do that, of course, we're going to like seeing a bigger version of a dog do it. Well. And I think a lot of people bring up Mark Hamill in Empire Strikes Back having to act with Yoda. And, like, if that doesn't work, Empire falls apart, right? Which I think is is absolutely correct. I feel like if Chewie doesn't work in A New Hope, the whole thing just falls to pieces. Because how are you going to take, like... 
Mm. A okay, okay, so there's this big, you know, furry thing that can fly. Like it doesn't logically, it doesn't make any sense. The if you don't like, if you don't connect with Chewy, you know, Leia saying, "Get this big walking carpet out of my way," like doesn't land. Um, the the trash compactor loses a little bit. You know, you have the, you know, uh, you're told, you know, he can rip your arms out, but then he's scared and in the trash compactor, like. There's so much of that character where if it doesn't work like a major piece that created Star Wars, uh, the original Star Wars is missing. Mark, like as someone who was able to see the original trilogy in the theater, like what was your just what was your impression of Chewbacca when you were, were seeing the original trilogy for the first time? Well, you mentioned the big walking carpet. That was my favorite line as a kid, and I I died laughing at that part of the movie. And I think it's because we all recognized how ridiculous it was that there was this seven-foot-tall dog Bigfoot guy who was flying the the ship, and um, we'd never seen anything like this before. Um, But, you know, when, when Lindsay mentioned his head tilt, didn't we all like see it in our heads? Like we all saw it. Oh yeah. So I'm yeah doing the head tilt. Um, it was that that kind of physicality that that made him so en- endearing. Um, you in- instantly connected with him because you understood him. I mean, he was, you know, he, Chewbacca was pretty pretty easy to understand for a seven year old. You know, he didn't like to lose at games. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, he's he, sometimes he got scared and sometimes he fought with his stomach. Um, he, he was just uh, he was just a big, lovable, relatable character when you're when you're a little kid. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's what I remember that and and seeing him like after they've left the trash compactor and Han is sort of getting on his case about being a big scaredy cat and and he's hunched and Chewie's hunched over and he's shaking his head like I don't want to go back there I don't want to go back there um like that's just instantly like seeing that like go from the guy who can rip your arms out of your sockets to someone who's vulnerable is just is what is what that was where the impact was for me anyway and I wonder you mentioned like he his reactions and how like they were like a seven-year-old's reactions and i wonder if that's a, a part of the reason why he was something or someone that connected with audiences because i think we all would like to think if we were in the star wars galaxy we would be the brave hero but i know for a fact if i ended up in a garbage compactor i would be exactly where chewbacca is like trying to climb up out of the walls you know so it's it's almost like there's to some extent because he's not uh, a human character it's almost like a, a self-insert type of thing Ooh, i like that phrase the self-insert because it's like no matter no matter who you are like there's something that some reaction that Chewbacca has that you're you're able to connect with. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not, you know, there's so much else going on in the story that it's not the first thing you think of after you watch it. You know, but like um 
was it Brandon or Mark who had said that if, you know, if that didn't work, nothing else would. And if we weren't able to connect with him, nothing else would. You know, there's there's a saying in when you're reviewing a movie, you know, if you don't notice the lights, that means they're great. If you notice the lighting, that might that probably means something went wrong. You know, you can say yeah. the same about music and sound design. Just like all of that, if you don't notice how much you're connecting with Chewie, it's perfect. If you started to notice this character's falling flat, it doesn't work. But he really just excelled with it. And I appreciate he's one of those characters. Like, we we analyze characters like Luke and Leia and more of the the mythic figures. Um, we analyze their actions a lot and the implications and things like that. And it's nice to have Chewy because Chewy's just Chewy. Like, do you do you wonder why a dog chases after a ball? No, it's just a dog chasing after a ball, right? Like, <laughs> do you do you question like, oh, come on, Chewy's like a warrior. Why did he not realize that that was a trap? No, there's a big hunk of meat there. Of course, he's gonna think with his stomach. Like, and it's nice to to have in the in the same place where you can have a, a Darth Vader, a Yoda, a Luke Skywalker, you can also have. Chewbacca thinking with his stomach. Yeah, I love the scene in uh, in Empire when they're in Echo Base, and when when Luke goes to say goodbye to him, he doesn't like shake his hand. He like gives him like a little oh, like a I little nuzzle, just like a dog. Like just <laughs> and I, I love I love that because as soon as he turns away, Chewie just gives him a big hug, and I think you know that's what my dog would do if he could hug me. That, that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like to that moment because Luke doesn't seem, you know, he seems surprised in the moment, but he doesn't seem surprised that that's something Chewie would do. So even though now these characters have a few years of history built up between them that we don't see at that point, it just seems so natural that Luke is like, of course, this big guy would do this to me. Yeah. And one of the things that. I like about Chewbacca as a character um, is he he's that character who's always there who's always see, like I from I look at Chewie and like his legacy for me is loyalty right because like he starts out he's loyal to the Wookiees or, or more particularly to his family as we see in Solo then to Han and then like later he sees Rey in need and he just connects with her right and he's just this this rock that's always there, even though nobody ever asks him to stick around. He just knows what is right. He does it. And, like, that's just an amazing character trait. And to me, that's just, like, what defines Chewbacca as a character. Adriana, for you, what is it that, like, defines Chewie for you? Um, actually, I was going to talk about that loyalty. Um, you know... Uh, how we were saying how you were saying maybe like a self insert for me it necessarily wasn't like self insert but seeing that friendship that he had with Han and and knowing that Han knowing that he could he always had Chewie there you know to back him up or that he was always just there um and I always thought that was really nice um just to see that and it's something that you know I think a lot of people would like to have someone 
who they can trust like that to know that they have their back and are watching over them and protecting them and, you know, like telling them, not telling them that they're wrong, but, you know, giving them those looks like, come on, what are you doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know better. I'll support yeah. your decision, but make the right one. Yeah. <laughs> you know it was like, I can't remember which issue of the comic it is, but it, it's on the Star Wars ongoing when the group lands on um, this moon that's like isolated and everything. Um, and Chewie's off some, uh, Chewie's off somewhere else. Um, I can't remember exactly where. He's picking where. up Sana Solo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's picking. Oh. See, that's that's why I keep you around. Um, <laughs> so I had, they, I had a purpose. Yes. Um, there's a scene where Han, like Leia, invites Han back into a room, um, and you know Han takes it that way, and Leia's like, "Ew, no!" And she like kicks him out of the room, um, and he's just standing in the hallway. He's like, "I'm so glad Chewie didn't have to see that." And, like, you just, I'm like, yes, because Chewie would have ragged you for that. He would have just been on you. It was it was a great moment. And to me, that, like, that relationship can go from the the screen to the page to the comic just, like, so easily, um, which is not something that's very easy to do. Like, I've mentioned this before. I feel like Han Solo is a hard character to nail down. Um, and, and that's one of my problems with him in the expanded universe. I've never read or seen a Chewie story where I didn't believe it was Chewie and it's what Chewie would do. But just thinking about that, like, what do you guys think are his most important or, or pivotal moments as a character? And Lindsay, I'm going to throw it to you first this time. Like, what stands out to you? Like, this is really something important for Chewbacca. So I actually have two things. Um, one, which is my big Peter one, especially, and the overall perfect Chewy moment. But it's when they're on Bespin and 3PO goes missing, and mm-hmm. he's the only one who's super concerned about it. And he's the only one who finds all these pieces and tries to fix him. So even though he knows all this other stuff is going on, he thinks, okay, this is the one person I'm responsible for. This is the one thing I can control. I'm going to put everything I can into it. Not because he's going to get any type of reward. He doesn't care about any of that. He just knows it's the right thing to do. And he is loyal and he is responsible for this, at the time, one droid. And he's going to do everything he can for it. Um, My other one isn't necessarily a Peter one because it is Last Jedi. But this is probably my all-time favorite tweet that has ever been put on the internet. Um, it was, I think, the day after The Last Jedi came out. And it's by from um, at Ink Nose. And it's, people are hung up on who's right dad is. And meanwhile, Chewie is right there, driving her to Jedi practice, <laughs> keeping the engine running, I love yep, this dropping her off that. to meet the new boyfriend he doesn't exactly approve of, but just tells her to get home safe. Her search for a father figure is over. So true. <laughs> I think that's like yes, the perfect absolutely. characterization. And you were talking about the head tilt that when she sits down in the cockpit next, next to him, that little head tilt that he gives her like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Look at you. You yeah. just fit right in there. Just like a happy dad. Yeah. Yes. Proud Absolutely. father. I think 
um, you, you know, you brought up like him doing what he can and controlling what he can and, and focusing on his responsibilities. I think that connects a lot with that moment in uh, Solo when they're leaving Kessel and he puts his forehead against the other Wookiee's forehead before he mm. goes goes with Han, you know, and makes that choice. And I remember everybody being really excited when the trailer came out about these two Wookiees putting heads together and were they in a relationship or, you know, are we going to get like... Is it Mala? Is it Mala? Yeah, yeah, that was one that came up, yes. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I was like, I'm okay that we didn't get any of that because that moment works perfectly. Like yeah, I'm I think glad it worked better than yeah. a full forced backstory or anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you you mentioned that. You both, Lindsay and Brandon, you both took my my two favorite Chewy moments. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the that moment on Kessel, when y- you know how important it is to Jabaka that he return to his people and and try to help free them, and. So in that moment when he has the opportunity to go with them and leave with them, um, he's he's he sees Han risking his life for Lando and L three, and the the camera does a is a very has a very specific cut to Chewie in that moment where it's like Chewie's is taking note of what Han is doing, and in that moment he's decided this is somebody that I think I want to stick around with because this guy's a good guy. Like you're talking about like Brandon, you mentioned earlier how Han is kind of a difficult character to pin down. I think that Han seen through the eyes of Chewie is a very easy character to pin down because the way that they play off of one another and the fact that Chewie has sort of chosen him, it's not even, we, we haven't even gotten to the whole life debt thing. And I think that that's, the whole life debt has been kind of up in the air as to like, was it really a life debt? Is it like, when did it really begin? I, I think that Chewbacca is not so much with Han because of a debt, but because of a choice and because he sees something in Han's character that he thinks is valuable. And so Han becomes a more valuable and more in some ways more upstanding because this Wookiee saw something in him. Does that make sense? Yeah, and yes. in in the book Life Debt, like um, Han mentions, like Chewie calls it some life debt or something, but we're equals, we're partners, always have been, always will be. And personally, I think that fits perfectly with what we see in Solo. Like, I'm sure at some point Chewie's like, hey, look, I have this life debt to you. Like, and Han's like, are you, what? And then it was like 30 years before it even came up again. You know, so, like, it's it's there in terms of, like, okay, yeah, like, following our strict culture, like, it's a life debt. Almost, you know, to some extent, like, Jar Jar and Qui-Gon, you know? Like, Jar Jar, yes, has a life debt to Qui-Gon, but if Qui-Gon had lived, I don't think he would have forced Jar Jar to, like, stay around him kind of thing, right? Um, and I think in the same way, Han's like, oh, we see it with Han. He's like, go, save, you know, save your friends, like, uh, save your, your people, um, and it, it's just, honestly, I think it's the relationship between the two that makes both characters work so well, because mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those like goals things. Like everybody wants to have, everybody wants to have a relationship like Han and Chewie, you know, that's like, 
whether it's with you know a, a, a spouse or just a brother or sister or whatever it is, like we all want that kind of relationship. I think the yeah. the the moment that like pinned it down for me um, is actually in A New Hope, and it's when he follows Han down the hallway when Han goes to chase those stormtroopers. Uh, I think that just sums up everything you need to know about Chewbacca right there. Uh, that he's just, all right, I guess we're doing this. And he's just right in there going after it. <laughs> I want to go back to what you had said, Brandon, actually about everyone kind of wants the relationship for that um, Han and Chewie have. And you're right. And what's so weird, though, is if you really take it a step further... When we're younger, we think, oh, man, Han Solo is so cool. I want to be just like him. He makes, you know, these daring decisions. He's so bold. Things work out for him. But when we get older, we kind of realize that not only do we want that relationship and that friendship that Han and Chewie have, but in all honesty, we probably all want to be Chewie. It, it would be great to have a friend like him. I think it would be more fulfilling in life if we all tried to be more like Chewie and find our Han instead of the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely agree with that. What do you guys think about that? 100%. Um, like I said uh, earlier, it's it's that, that relationship that they have is so important. And... To have something like that, I think to aspire to something like that would be um, the ultimate, I think, goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. if you think about, like, Han, he goes from, like, the rogue to the, you know, the captain or the general, rather. And it's an arc we kind of wish we could go on because to some extent we all want to be that rogue you know who just does his own thing but also still gets to be you know the good guy very um why everybody wants gray jedi um but like chewy is a much more realistic goal for our life and and not in like a a settling kind of way but just like you said like uh Lindsay, it, it's just the type of character that he has is something if we don't aspire to it it's something we should aspire to um, yeah, there's a there's a real comfort level between the two of them that's that's apparent on screen. The fact that they can they don't actually finish each other's sentences, but they could. And there's a lot of uh, a good natured ribbing that that takes place that that it only happens when you get to know somebody so well that you know like what you're allowed to like tease them about and what you can't. Uh, that's that's like in spades throughout those films. It's just the way that that they kind of like jab at each other. I had a a pastor growing up who this I, I remember this really well because it's something that connected with me. He talked about like people having the relational right to speak into your life, right? Um, and basically, like what he meant by that is if some like. Even somebody in a nice business suit getting out of a nice car came and, like, told you you need to get your life together and, like, here's how you can do it. You're going to look at him like, who are you, right? Um, but if you had, like, your best friend be like, hey, man, you got to get your life together kind of thing, it's completely different, you know? Um, and I think that's exactly what you're hitting on there is, like, 
their relationship went so deep they knew everything about them that they had like the relational right to basically do and say anything because they trusted each other so inherently I might yeah, jump- definitely trust and respect, I would say, are the biggest things with them. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead, but and maybe we're going to talk about this at some point, but in The Force Awakens, the part that hit me so hard was not that Han died, but that it was Chewie's reaction. Yeah. That that's, was actually my favorite part that was yeah, going to mention. Yeah. That's what choked me up, was seeing him go on the rampage because... Yeah, I mean, that's that's 40 years of a relationship, you know, that we're seeing in that moment. And if you think about the fact that, like, he held Ben as a little kid and his love for Han is so deep, like, he doesn't... It would be one thing if he was still wearing the mask and he was shooting Kylo Ren, but he straight up shoots Ben Solo right in the gut, like, kill shot, without hesitation, because his love for Han is so deep. Uh, do you think it was a kill shot? I'm, I do not think it was a kill shot. I kind of don't think it was either. I, I say it was. I, I, this, this is why I don't, this is why I don't think it was a kill shot because Chewie doesn't miss. <laughs> exactly. You, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to go with them on this one, Brandon. I think it was just an instinct shot. Yeah. I mean, because people forget, I mean, it's not in the movies, um, but Chewie had a relationship with Ben. He was, he was around for that. He he was around when he was a little kid. He, you know, and, and I really think that if he had wanted to, if they only wanted to make one (laughs) Star Wars movie, Chewie could have definitely done something more damaging. All right, hmm. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> How would you guys feel about this? I just had this like image pop in my head. Um, and Adriana, you have to play along with this one. Kylo Ren gets redeemed in episode nine. All right, let's just, for hypotheticals, let's just say that's fact. How would you guys feel if like one of the, like the, one of the last scenes of the movie, you have like Ray in the pilot seat Chewie in the the passenger or in the co-pilot seat not passenger seat um and like Ben walks in and they him and Chewie just look at each other and Chewie gets up and Ben sits down and it's like the passing of the torch no (laughs) (laughs) I said you have to play along Adriana okay oh no I will okay I would accept Ben getting on the ship and and maybe having a moment on the Millennium Falcon, but I don't know. Giving up to giving up the sea uh, to to Han's murder, even if it is his own son, I don't know if I can quite get behind that. <laughs> if I were to see it happening, I could see it happening in such a way where it's Ben Solo trying to make restitution somehow. Like instead of like Chewie being the one who gives up the seat or, or Chewie acknowledging Ben Solo as like, oh, okay, I forgive you. More like it's the other way around. Like like it's it's Ben trying to come at him and just trying in some way to do something to you can't really make up for what he did, but 
You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. trying trying to reach out to him somehow. Like that's what I would see as being that something that would happen in a redemptive arc. And maybe it's never reciprocated because, you know, maybe that's something Chewie can't forgive. And I think that's something that, regardless of how you feel about the redemptive potential of Ben Solo, you can't fault any of the characters who don't necessarily want to go along with his redemptive arc. You know, even if the story is in favor of it or the story is pushing his character in that direction, you can't fault any of the characters who just say, that's that's too far for me. I can't. I yeah. can't do that. Yeah, especially because they don't know everything that we as the audience know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so for Chewie to just see Ben as Kylo Ren kill Han in front of him, and then he doesn't have those conversations with Luke that Ray does. And he's not able to challenge Luke about what those stories are the way Ray does. Um, you know, we, we as the audience get to watch and we have all this information that, yeah, Ray could technically tell Chewie, but it's not, you're totally right, Mark. It's not going to make a difference to him. And so, something too, like we know that, Kylo, he had those those conflicting feelings, but Chewie has no idea about those feelings. He just see he just saw what happened. You know, there's none of that backstory that we got. So definitely um, something that could influence Chewie's feelings. But does Chewie know about them? Probably not. Well, mm. yeah. Let's let's remember the Force is not connecting Chewie and Kylo. Like he's like it's connecting Kylo and Ray. So. I would pay to see that though. <laughs> I'm here for it. So, are, has it pointed out anywhere in canon? Because nothing's coming to mind for me that, like, set it in stone that Chewie knew Kylo Ren is Ben Solo. Has it actually like straight up said that, or are we just working under the assumption of like, of course Han would have told him? I, I would. Mm. I would. Ass- I would assume so. I would assume, but yeah, I don't think we have any reason okay. to necessarily be able to prove it. It just came to mind. I was just thinking, like the the idea of like passing the seed on to Ben came to mind just because in Solo you see him taking the seat for the first time, and you know, in Rise of Skywalker, you know, taking it for the last time or whatever. But um, so. Moving on to, like, other stuff that we've seen Chewbacca in, because he's one of those characters like R2 and 3PO, and this is one of the benefits of of being a a masked character and an alien creature that you, again, you can kind of, like, project yourself onto or what you want to be onto that character, is he's been able to go to all these different... um, arenas of star wars so you have like a whole bunch of non-ot stories with him like in clone wars and in prequels um just for the sake of conversation let's stick with those two how did you guys feel about chewbacca showing up in in things like the clone wars and prequels and non-ot era stuff So I didn't mind it in Revenge of the Sith because it was 
pretty quick and it was a nice part that he played, it seemed believable that, yeah, Chewie is the kind of person who would be involved in this type of war. Um, yeah, this is something that would guide his actions later on in life. It it seemed more believable. The appearance that I haven't really gotten into still is the Clone Wars one. It just seemed, you know, we talk about this a lot over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, which is when you have these connections, it makes the universe seem that much smaller. So for all these Wookiees to be in the galaxy and the one that we just keep running into over and over is Chewbacca just feels a little bit off to me. I feel like they uh-huh. did that just to get like a Trandoshan Wookiee fight, you know, and because in terms of like actually helping them get off that island, I mean, Chewie, Chewie's important, but he rewires a radio thing, right? Or you could have had a lot of characters do that. Like we have plenty of good air quotes mechanics in, in star Wars. I think one of the tropes, but Mark, you were about to say something about. Yeah, I, I think I agree with Lindsay. Um, I mean, at the time I certainly was delighted by it. I mean, you know, another opportunity to see Chewbacca in animated form, especially, but um, he does feel a little shoehorned in, and that epi- that whole episode arc uh, is so important for Ahsoka. I don't feel like he was necessary, mm. and that's what to me why it feels like he's shoehorned in there. Um, even though that the Wookies and the Trandoshans have a history, and it makes sense that it would be Wookies, um, <clears throat> but you know, Tar- Tarful shows up at the end of it. Why couldn't it have just been Tarful on the- stuck on the planet with him? That would make sense. Adriana, what about you? How did you feel about Chewie in the Clone Wars? And I'm assuming you liked him in the prequels. Uh, oh, I loved him in the prequels. Uh, my mom was ecstatic. That's her. Chewie's her favorite. So um, when he showed up that first time and she sc- she screamed out loud, it was very, very interesting. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the Clone Wars, uh, I mean, I don't want to say anything because I love Chewie. But it didn't need to be chewy. Um, even if it was just, I think, a random Wookiee, that would have been, you know. But, but yeah, like you say, it's this whole thing of we keep seeing him, and and it's like, okay, where where do you where do you draw that line of what's too much and what's just trying to get? I don't. I'm I'm sorry. I don't know. It's like Hold the on. question Let of me, it, it's like. It's it's cool for the sake of being cool versus it's cool and it fits the story. Yeah. And it's like when we were talking, when you guys did your Rogue One episode with Ponda Baba and them being on Jeddah. Like, there was, no, there was no need. Like, we already know. It's cool when it's something new, like, or you're trying to build those connections. But we already know that how this world is connected. We don't need another connection like that. That's a really good point. I'm glad you, you you mentioned Rogue One because there's something that Star Wars has been doing, especially lately, and I think it's just the result of, of having so many decades of history um, and and sort of walking that fine line of fan service. But Star Wars is starting to be very self-referential in a way that kind of bothers me 
and it's and the the Panda Baba scene on in Rogue One is a great example of that, where it's like, hey, remember these guys? Look, they're here too. And it's and it's kind of that that's what it feels like in this episode of the Clone Wars, is that it's like, oh, it's Chewbacca. You remember Chewbacca. Um I would rather see more world building than self-referential stuff inserted into Star Wars where it comments on itself. Yeah. Is that Yeah. Well, but I think one of the things that they have done really well is like our major players are not really self-referential. You know, like you don't have for example, you don't have Luke going like, and then I became a Jedi like my father before me, you know, or something cheesy like that. Like, you have Han, you know, making the, I'm going to talk my way out of it. It works every time um, thing. And, like, we get that, but it's, that doesn't feel self-referential to me. And particularly, like, looking at Chewbacca, I feel like when you look at, like, Solo and the sequel trilogy, there's just been a seamless segue um, with this character so jumping off of that and going forward into the future of Chewbacca because we know I mean Wookiees lived for a long time so there's and he's already lived what 190 years by the time we get to Solo so there's plenty of time to tell stories with him what other stories would you like to see going forward with Chewie Mark I'm gonna throw that to you first what what Chewie's content do you want um, I I didn't follow any of the, the comics that covered the when Chewie and Han went back to liberate Kashyyyk. I don't know if you guys did, um, but that's always felt like a, a a section of his life that I that I wanted to see on the big screen. Like I want to see more more of Chewbacca interacting with his people and being more of a leader. Uh, We've seen him playing off a, a human friend, but I want to see him more with his own people. And uh, I so want to see, it see in the some... holiday special. Is what no, you're saying. I was just about to say <laughs> I want to see it in some other form than the holiday special. Okay, all right, sure. <laughs> Secretly loves the holiday special. Hey, hey, fifteen minutes of Wookie speak. Uh, who doesn't love that? <laughs> <laughs> who knows what they're saying to each other? Uh, Adriana, like one of the things, I think. I think aren't you on the we need a sequel to Solo bandwagon for lack of a better term? You want a sequel to it, right? I'm not opposed. I actually really liked Han Solo for what it was, and so I think it would be nice to see. Um, a sequel but if we're talking about what i really really want to see like as far as the future um i want to see chewy just like on a vacation <laughs> <laughs> he's well, been through the clone wars he's been through like the uh, the original trilogy he he's got all the the prequels battles he's now he's in this battle in the um in the sequel trilogy so when is chewy gonna get some me time when is chewy gonna just just chill by the falcon not have to worry about being anywhere or fighting any bad guys that's what i want to see for chewy when can he just sit with a blue milk on this beef beach on scarif and just you know chill and eat his roasted porgs in peace. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Without being guilted. <laughs> oh my 
good. Oh, man. He deserves it. I think one of the places that would be a really fun arena for Chewie to go to would be actually the Disney Plus and doing like a limited run Han, Solo, and Chewbacca adventures and have that be like the indirect sequel to Solo. Like I have this idea of you have... You have like a, a Han and Chewie miniseries and a Maul and Kira miniseries that like lead up to each other and then, you know, are another series. So you have like three shows, kind of like they did with like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and everything. Yeah, that would be really cool. That would I be would cool. Definitely, I would definitely, I mean, they're already going to have my money anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it would be a lot of fun. So. To kind of close out, um, I want to just kind of end on what we think the the character's legacy is as it stands, which we've kind of touched on um, a, a little bit, but then also how it will change once the sequel trilogy comes to its close with Rise of Skywalker. So, Mark, I'm going to let you start off with this one. Well, we've we've already mentioned that because he's a character in a mask, um, or the actor, the performer is in a mask, uh, we're not able to, to rely on things like looking at facial expressions, and he doesn't speak English. Um, so really, the thing that we have to go by as far as how to judge Chewbacca is by his actions. And uh, I think his legacy is... Um, you know, it's it's like it's like somebody mentioned earlier. It's loyalty. It's it's having it's his his faith in someone else and seeing something in someone else that says that you know you're you're of value because you're a good person and I recognize that. Um, so yeah, that's I, I think of it as loyalty. So Adriana, where do you see? Chewie going in episode nine because we don't have I mean we didn't really see him too much in the trailer I think he's just in that one scene um, right before the Death Star but in terms of like his story and his arc and stuff where do you want to see Chewbacca go in episode nine Uh, definitely I think he he and Ray are going to I don't know what the right word is. Um, like, they're going to team up, I guess. And I think Chewie is going to want to have someone that he can have another... He knows he won't be able to replace Han. And Ray's not a replacement, but he's definitely someone that he can put his faith into, like he put in his faith into Han. And so I definitely think that Ray and Chewie are, are going to be pretty much a team from the from the get-go and i'm excited to see how that goes um and it might be like a father-daughter relationship which i think will be really cool um and really fun to see and yeah i i just i think he'll still be in the providing those moments of relief and humor when things get a little bit too heavy or serious and well, jumping yeah. jumping off of that, Lindsay, how would you feel if because we've brought up Chewie as like a father figure, and, and father figures is a 
for Ray is a major plot point in this uh, sequel trilogy. How would you feel if Chewie sacrificed himself to protect Ray in some form in Rise of Skywalker? I think it would be a fitting end. Um, if I if I have to say goodbye to Chewie, I hope that's the reason why. I think no matter what happens, the legacy he'll leave behind is that of our very own Mr. May- Mayhew, which is one of giving. Um, you know, just like Peter himself, Adriani said it so well early on in the episode, even when he was in pain, he continued to do what was right for the fans. I think if Chewie needs to sacrifice himself for Ray, it'll be the same thing. He'll be in pain, but he's going to do exactly what he knows is right. Uh, I do like that thought, though, Brandon, because it will allow Chewie to go out the hero that we know he is. And even if he didn't get the medal on Yavin, he still, you know, gets to prove <laughs> gets to, gets to prove once and for all that he is the mighty Chewbacca. You know, the the metal thing has come up a couple times, and I love, actually, that in the comics, he got the metal and just, like, gave it to some random girl who he went on an adventure with. Because I just love the idea that Chewie's like, I'm not in this for the medals. Like, it doesn't, sure, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, here's a medal. Have, have a medal. Like, I, he cares about his friends, and I feel like... That's also kind of how very chewy. Yeah, it's very chewy, but it's also very Peter Mayhew, right? Like he was never like, "Hey, look at me, I'm a celebrity." Like Mark Hamill will do that sometimes. Like, "Hey, look, I'm Mark Hamill," which is fine. Like he makes a living doing it; it's fine. But like Peter was never, never that way, and he's gonna be, he is going to be missed. And I'm, I'm personally hoping, and I feel like everybody on the panel is hoping that Chewie l- survives through episode nine. Um, oh, I c- yeah, I couldn't handle, yeah. handle it if he doesn't. It would, it would be rough. <laughs> it would be really, really I think, rough. Yeah. Yeah, and I, but I think it's, I feel like a little bit more safe because we know that we have so- someone who is able to carry on, on his legacy, so it's not like the same with Carrie. There's no replacing mm-hmm. Carrie. There's no way to, you know, you can't replace her, like, like there's no in a literal sense it, like yeah literally literally yeah. yeah and and so we know that he passed the torch on we have someone willing to play him and someone who is bringing that love that caring that um i don't i'm sorry like bringing forth that and showing that that same kind of loyalty and love that we have come to know from Chewbacca. And so to, I think, kill him off in this last one would be um, not necessarily like foolish or anything like that, but there's potential to, for someone to do a lot more with him and tell a lot more stories about Chewie. Yeah, so. it, w- it would be a waste of a, a valuable resource, I think. Um because, yeah, like you said, Jonas is doing a great job and, and Peter passing the torch on to him. I feel like that means that means a lot. Like, I know I know it's kind of silly um, because, like, <clears throat> it doesn't happen in a lot of other f- franchises necessarily. But moments like, like Harrison Ford having lunch with Alden and, like, wishing him luck and being Han and knowing, like, Alden was in Harrison's good graces is, is like, that was a 
big thing, at least for me. Um, and then, like, same thing, like, knowing that Jonas trained under the hand of Peter Mayhew and they played the character side by side. And not only did Peter do it willingly, but he did it graciously. Um, says a lot of this character. So we're going to close it up there because, I mean, we're already almost 90 minutes into the show. You thought we couldn't talk about Chewie for too long? You were wrong. Um, <laughs> Joke's <so> on you. <laughs> we can talk about anything for too long. <laughs> Longest short podcast the, on the internet. Yeah, we didn't even talk about like people going to get to visit Chewie at the theme parks and how exciting that is. <laughs> That's, oh, I can't I even imagine. We just need to do another episode. Yep, that's <laughs> it. That's it. We're going to have to do an, do a whole nother episode on just theme park Chewy. I <laughs> bet you we could get a solid 60 minutes out of that. Um, but before we make anybody suffer through that, let's go around <laughs> and each of y'all can share um, your social, um, where people can connect with you, and of course the shows that you're working on. So Adriana, I will let you start first. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Celestial Intent. I'm also in the Classy- Clashing Sabers Facebook group. And you can uh, look forward to listening to my next Starships episode. Um, if you haven't listened to the Kylux one, you should. That one was really good and really fun to do. So, yes, that's where you can find me. Yo, I got to give – I'm sorry. I got to give Adriana a shout-out on here. Um, because so we moved over to Podbean uh, about two months ago, and it actually gives data on like listenership and everything like that. And that Kylux episode has been our most listened to episode uh, oh, thus great. far. So nice. Yeah. When she's saying it's a good episode, she's not just saying it to say it. Like people are thinking it's a good episode, so go listen to it. <laughs> we have the numbers to prove. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and we clearly like that. Happybeeps.net. Um. <laughs> Mark, go ahead and uh, and let people know where they can find you and listen to you and everything. Yeah, you can usually find me hanging out hanging out at Twitter. Um, I'm there. You could follow me at DJ M Marquis. I'm also over on Instagram as M Marquis twelve oh five, and I do a show called Forever Star Wars. Um, the last episode was sort of a travel log through the galaxy where we visited several planets. And um, it is was somewhat similar to an audio play because I used a lot of uh, sound effects in it. So I had a lot of fun doing that. And there will be uh, more of those in the future. And the next episode may involve a certain redemptive character, maybe. I'm just going to say. I'm not going to say exactly who. <laughs> Wada. <laughs> Obviously. Wait, is there another redemption in Star Wars? <laughs> just, just a few. Oh, there is Gardula the Hut. Can't forget about him. Uh, there you go. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, you're up. Yeah, you guys can find me, of course, here on Clashing Sabers on the flagship show. Also on Don't Burn the Sacred Text with my buddy Brandon here. You can get me on Twitter at Miss Lindsay G. That's MS Lindsay G. Or find me on Instagram on Full Force Lindsay. And you can uh, come hang out with us, of course, on our Facebook group, Clashing Sabers Star Wars Community. That's a, a fun place to discuss Star Wars, uh, share some inside jokes, and, of course, share the content that you are creating. Um, I'm blanking on his name, and I feel really bad now. Made a Rogue One uh, 
trailer video that I'm really excited to watch. I have not had the chance to sit down and watch, but yeah, it's uh, people are creating so much cool stuff, and it's awesome to see. Um, and then, of course, Twitter, Clashing Sabers. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, Clashing Sabers. I know, surprising. Uh, and we also have a phone number that you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text, and we will read it slash listen to it on the show. That phone number is 832 also, if you do your review on your phone and you want to just take a little screenshot of it, send it to me via text. That works as well. Or you can email it clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. I think that's it. Also, it's Jack Currington has the trailer. Thank you, Jack Currington. Gotcha. Shout out. Um, yes, I'm super excited to watch that. Super excited about everything that's going on in Star Wars fandom because despite the very loud voices that tend to pop up in Twitter feeds. Star Wars fans are the best, and we love you all. Until next time, Batch 8. Hi-ho. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.